If you have your Bible or you have your phone, you can actually uh, follow today's message online through the Bible app. All the notes will be there uh, for you. Uh, I originally had a message planned uh, for this. Uh, well, actually, I had another message planned today. Uh, Phil Smithhurst, was, uh, uh, who is a missionary from South Africa, was supposed to be with us, but had been traveling abroad. He was, uh, had been uh, over in the Middle East and, and uh, just kind of coming back through Europe, and I just thought better of it that it was time for, for him to, to do what the government was telling uh, him to do and for us to kind of continue to press forward into what God has called us to do. Now, right now, we're in a series called Seek and Save, and today I want to share with you a message called the Seek and Save, the church's response to crisis. Uh, next week, I'm going to share part two, advancing the, uh, the kingdom, but today I want to share with you a message called The Church's Response to Crisis. Um, I want to I repeat what I have been saying for weeks, and that is this, that this is the hour of the greatest awakening and revival this planet has ever seen, and it still is, and listen, the virus is not on the throne. Jesus is on the throne, and this is still the hour, and I believe right now there's such a shaking going on in the earth that people are actually looking for something of substance, to find a people of substance who say, is there really answer? Is there really something that I can build my life upon? And there is. His name is Jesus, the Son of God who came and gave himself for us, who died on a cross, was buried, and death could not hold hold him and on the third day he got up from the grave you can give him your life he's a conquering king and you can live in faith not in fear Jesus Christ himself is perfect theology that means that you can build your life on what he did and what did he do in Luke 19 he made the announcement he says the son of man has come to seek and save that which is lost can i just ask you uh, uh you you'll probably never see that as a headline today everybody is saying now hunker down and don't seek out anybody whatever you do socially distance yourself and i think there's plenty of wisdom in that uh you know, I think I've used more hand sanitizer in the last week and a half. You know, I'm sure that, uh, you know, I've taken off all of the dead skin. Everything is dead. I've washed and cleansed. You have a bacteria-free broadcast today, okay? So uh, I'm, I'm all for using wisdom. But this, God's mandate to the church has not changed. It has not changed. We still have to seek and save the lost. It's our mandate here at Calvary to be a thriving local, local church that's making a global impact. We are going to live missionally. That is why we're broadcasting the way that we are. We believe that, that if you share this video and you tell your friends and perhaps some of you who are feeling good and healthy and you have a neighbor that's feeling good and healthy and maybe their church doesn't have broadcast, invite them to your living room and start a move of God on your street. 
You need to begin to dream with God, not just, just taking clues. Listen, I want people to be careful. I don't want you to be foolish, but I want you to think that God's on the move and that God wants to touch lives. And I'm personally seeing a stirring in the hearts of people, and there is a real hunger right now. And also, we need to engage with those people in this time of crisis. Uh, Pastor Dylan did an amazing job last week of sharing uh, that message called Advancing the Kingdom Part 1. And he said something at the very end of the sermon, which I think bears repeating and is especially pertinent in this hour. It's a quote from A.W. Tozer, and it says this, A scared world needs a fearless church. A scared world needs a fearless church, and this is the way that we are called to operate in this hour. Listen, a spirit of fear has gone out, has gone out for sure. And, 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 and he also quoted uh, this, this statement, which the Lord spoke to me years ago. He says that a deaf and mute spirit had been scheming against the church, but God was raising up Samuels in this hour who could hear him and would dare to say what he is saying. And that's who God is making you to be. In a time where the word of the Lord is rare, God is raising you up to be a voice of clarity, not one who is controlled by a spirit of fear, but one who is filled with God's Holy Spirit, saying what he's saying, hearing the voice of the Lord, walking with him in power. So what should our response as the church be in a time of crisis? This is a real question. This is, a, this is something that needs a real answer. And how many of you understand the word of God has an answer for every situation? It has an answer for every situation. And uh, all this week, I, I, I was hearing the rumblings of, of this message uh, today in my spirit. And so I want to share it with you. It's in Numbers chapter 16. Numbers chapter 16. And uh, we're going to look at this passage. I'm going to give you a little bit of background uh, before we read this passage. Of, uh, this is when uh, Moses... Is, is trying desperately to do what God has called him to do. He's leading the people uh, of Israel out. And there was a man named Korah who came up in a rebellion and said, Hey, listen, you and Aaron, you know, you guys are doing too much. We want to do some of that stuff. And Korah, they had, they, they, they had work to do connected to the church, but they not only wanted their, their position, they wanted control of everything. And so Korah raised up in rebellion. They, weren't, they, were, they were not operating as God had called them to operate. And, uh, and there was sin where judgment was coming on sin. And what happened was, is, is God opened up the ground and swallowed them up. That's ultimately what happened. He says, God, I, God said, I'm choosing Moses and Aaron. I have chosen them. And you who stand in rebellion, you're going to be swallowed up. So the backstory to this passage that we're about to read is God has just swallowed up a bunch of people. And now it's, it's going widespread. The the The... The judgment that had come upon them now is, is shaking some of the people in the congregation. Number 16, verse 41 says, On the next day, all the congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, saying, You have killed the people of the Lord. And now it happened when the congregation had gathered against Moses and Aaron 
that they turned toward the tabernacle of meeting, and suddenly a cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord appeared. Then Moses and Aaron came before the tabernacle of meeting. They approached the presence of God, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Get away from this congregation. Do you hear this? God is saying, Moses and Aaron, get into quarantine now. Why? That I may consume them in a moment. And listen to what Moses and Aaron did. And they fell on their knees. So Moses said to Aaron, take a censer and put fire in it from the altar. Put incense in it and take it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them. For wrath has gone out from the Lord. The plague has begun. Then Aaron took it as Moses commanded and ran into the midst of the assembly. And already the plague had begun among the people. So he put in the incense and made atonement for the people. And he stood between the dead and the living. So the plague was stopped. Now those who died in the plague were 14,700 beside those who died in the Korah incident. So Aaron returned to Moses at the door of the tabernacle of meeting for the plague had stopped. Now this was a moment of crisis and from this passage uh, I'm going to give you some principles that we as the church can employ when, when we see things that are going forth as a result of sin. I want everybody to know, if I, there's so many theologians and so many videos out there uh, that are trying to say, well, this is why this came. This is why uh, God's really mad. Or, you know, or, or uh, you know, people are saying, well, this is, this is the reason why this is happening. And, you know, they say, the book of Revelation. And I just want to say uh, the, the one clear thing that can be said about this virus. We have pestilence, sickness, disease, and death for one reason summed up in a three-letter word in English. It's sin. We live in a sinful world, a fallen world. But in the midst of a fallen world, God has come and redeemed a people that is called to make a significant impact, carrying the kingdom of God with them as they go. And this is how we are to respond in the midst of the crisis. Stop wasting your time trying to figure out who's at fault or who's causing this. And let's figure out how the church is supposed to respond in this hour. So, in crisis. Now, we're Floridians. We know crisis. We have hurricanes, okay? We know how to live without electricity for days and, and pack food and take care of one another. And uh, when, when uh, a city up in the panhandle was utterly destroyed, everybody came together and, and worked uh, hard uh, the last time that that happened. Listen, we're Floridians. We know how to do this. And right now, you guys have AC, everybody has electricity, you still have some of the amenities, uh, and, and people are just, you know, they don't know what to do. And I want to tell you, God will show you how to respond. So in crisis, I got three points for you this morning, and I want you to, to take them in today. In crisis, the church first knows the character of God. Knows the character of God. In Numbers 16, verse 44, it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Get away from this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. And they, 
Moses and Aaron, fell on their faces. So Moses said to Aaron, take a censer and put fire in it from the altar and put incense in it and take it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them. For the wrath has gone out from the Lord, the plague has begun. I, I, you know, sometimes in scripture, what is not there tells us a story. So what's God saying? God's saying, get away from them. I'm going to wipe them out. But Moses and Aaron didn't do what God said to do. And, And this is like, this is bizarre. Because we look at this as the church and we're like, wait, we're always supposed to obey God. We're always supposed to, to just, to just uh, you know, to see, uh, you know, something is on them. We just, we just step out of the way and we'll let, we'll let this plague come. We'll let this judgment come. But actually, God has raised us up as a royal priesthood to, to step forward because we know God. Why? Because we minister to him, we worship him, we walk with him, and, and we know him intimately. God never told Moses to tell Aaron what to do. Moses gave the instruction because he had a relationship with God. He knew God's character. He knew that God would would actually move in mercy and grace. And some of these people out there who are saying, listen, this plague is God's judgment. Well, I would say, well, it may be, but how are you going to respond? What are you called to do in this moment to stop the judgment? Don't just step out of the way. Don't just say, well, they deserve it. No, 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 you have a role in this hour. You have something, an an, an anointing from God to see change. Why? Because you know God. Now listen, people who don't respond the right way in this moment, in a time of crisis, it's because they don't know their God. And yet the book of Daniel says those that know their God will do mighty exploits. They will do great things. Well, what are, when are they doing those great things? When is Daniel saying that? He's saying it in the midst of captivity, in the midst of slavery. Another nation has overtaken them, and they feel this mighty oppression. And, God, and Daniel has such a revelation of God and the character of God that in the midst of that moment, he stands up and says, the people of God will do great things. And so Daniel stands as a beacon of hope. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're standing as a beacon of hope as, as Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar are going crazy. Here are these men filled with the spirit of God and filled with the life of God and the wisdom of God. So much so that their government, the pagan government said, these guys are 10 times smarter than all of our wise people. And can I just tell you that in a time of crisis, church, If we will be people who know our God, who live out of our intimacy, who live out of the revelation that we have because we are doing like Moses did. Moses would go into the tabernacle when the cloud was there. He would minister to the Lord there. He had this table of showbread. It was representing the tribes. 
He had this menorah, which was a uh, uh, revelation. Uh, it was light and revelation to him in a dark hour. He then also had behind the veil the glory of the Lord, this shining presence of God. And now in the New Testament, we're called to do what Moses did. Moses got to know God in the secret place. And right now, the church is actually being ushered by our government back to the secret place. That's what's happening. I heard someone recently refer to it as a global Sabbath. And maybe we need to think about what happens on the Sabbath. A Sabbath is a time where you return thanks, where you pray, where you remember the goodness of God, and where you are actually recharged and renewed, where you cease from your working and you actually remember that it's God who supplies, that it's God who heals, that it's God who restores, that it's God who redeems. And I, and I believe that God right now, he is ushering his church back into the secret place. And listen, if you've been coming to church and you've been saying to yourself for years, man, I just feel like I need to pray a little more. Guess what? God is in agreement with that. It's time that we pray a little more. You know, you say, man, I need to get into God's word. Guess what? Heaven's in agreement with that. That. We need to know the character and the life of God. We need to know it so that we know how to respond in the midst of crisis. God didn't tell Moses what to do. He didn't tell Aaron what to do. And you know what? There's another prophet that comes along named Jonah. He knew God's heart as well. You remember this story? He, he was told, go to Nineveh and pronounce judgment. And you'll give it a time limit. He says, hey, in 40 days, God is going to judge this city. But what happened? He pronounces the judgment, and then the king, thank God, this happened uh, just a few days ago, the king in Nineveh proclaimed a time of prayer and fasting. He says, everybody in sackcloth and ashes, he, because he said this, who knows if God will relent and forgive us of our sins and show us mercy. And sure enough, they, 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 they sought the Lord in prayer. They sought the Lord in fasting. And what happened? God saw their deeds. And what did he do? He relented. Now, Jonah was not happy about this. Why? Because he was the guy that had to show up that said, Hey, God's going to judge you. God's bringing judgment. And notice what Jonah says as he's complaining about the character and nature of God. He says, Jonah 4.1 says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly when God showed mercy and moved. And he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, sounds like Jonah was a teenager. Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore, I pled previously to Tarshish. He says, I knew you were going to do this. This is the whole reason I was trying to run away. For I knew, listen to what he knew about God. I knew that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, 
one who relents from doing harm. And I just want to say, the church should know the exact same thing about God today. God's character in this moment is under assault. And we as the church need to rise up based on our relationship with him. This is what we need to do. Jonah, he didn't even want to go because he knew God's character. He knew God's heart. Listen, we as the church, we cannot just watch while this virus wreaks physical, emotional, and financial havoc on our nation. The church must respond because we know our God. We must respond. We cannot just sit back idly by. This is not a time for the church to be silent. We must raise up our voice and declare, Jesus is king, and if we will cry out to him, he will move on our behalf. Moses and Aaron knew that without God having to say it. Jonah knew it without God having to say it. And many others throughout the scripture have known the very same thing. Second, in crisis, the church knows the power of intercession. In crisis, the church knows the power of intercession. Notice verse 46, it says, So Moses said to Aaron, Take a censer, put fire in it from the altar, put incense on it, and take it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them. For wrath has gone out from the Lord, the plague has begun. What happened next is one of the greatest Old Testament pictures of the New Testament practice of intercession ever given in the Bible. That's my opinion. There is also another uh, type. Uh, it's one of the greatest. I, the greatest type of intercession is Jesus on the cross. That's the greatest symbolism of intercession. When Jesus hung for six hours on the cross, suspended between heaven and earth, that was the ultimate act of intercession. What was he doing? He was interceding on behalf of everyone on this planet. Between the Father, perfect holiness, he now becomes the perfect sacrifice interceding for a world that needs redemption. That's the greatest picture of intercession. But this picture in the Old Testament is one of the great, greatest calls to intercession that I think the church can see within the scriptures. I want, to, I want to give you today some of the ingredients of intercession, some of the ingredients of your prayer life that need to be happening in this day. Um, by the way, uh, please never partner with this lie that intercessor is, uh, is a specific calling within the body of Christ. That is nonsense, complete nonsense. We're all called to be intercessors. Here's why. Here's why. Jesus is described as our chief intercessor. He is at the right hand of the Father forever making intercession for us. And we are the body of Christ. So if he is our intercessor right now, then we too are an intercessor. So don't, don't negate that fact. Now, there are people who are more prophetically gifted, who hear the voice of God, and it seems like most of those people, who, those who are quick to hear the voice of the Lord, are quick to pray, and some people have given them a, the title 
of intercessor. But I want to tell you this. Everybody can hear the voice of God. Everybody can know the heart of God. So we are all called to intercession. Let me give you some of these ingredients from, uh, from this passage. First, there's a censer. A censer uh, was simply uh, a bronze instrument, and it was meant uh, to hold fire. It was simply a container made for God's use, okay? So here's, here's what I liken this to. The censer that he went and grabbed is symbolic of every believer. Each one of you is a container. You have been made to house the, the presence and the life of God. It's supposed to flow out of you. Each one of you is a vessel for God's use. Uh, the, that's exactly how the New Testament describes us. So in this moment of intercession, there was a container. That's every believer that, want, that God wanted to use. Now, secondly, there was fire. Now, where would this fire come from? I want you to notice, this isn't something that they went out like Boy Scouts and, and just created their own fire and then, then put that fire in the container. No, this fire was from the altar. Now, here's, here's what I want you to know. Do you want to know who lit the fire on the altar? It's God. God lit the fire on the altar. So when they, when they built the altar... And they, they dedicated it to him. Fire came down from heaven and it filled the altar. It was the job of the priest to keep the fire kindled. To keep fuel on the fire. The fire did not originate though in man's hands. It came out of God's hands. And what I want to say to you today is that the key, uh, another key ingredient in intercession is that you become a vessel that God uses in prayer and you get heavenly fire from God. You get baptized in the Holy Spirit. You get drenched in God's goodness. Listen, some of you are downtrodden today, the answer is a fresh encounter with God. That's why we want you to put, put the breakfast away and come and engage with the presence of God. I believe God wants to move in your living room. He wants to move in your bedroom. He wants to do something powerful through your life. We need heavenly fire. And it is a, pe a people who are available as a container filled with holy fire from God that then begin to position themselves before the Lord and present incense. Incense is the last ingredient in um, intercession. It, this is, uh, simply put, it's a sweet-smelling aroma. It's something that changes the atmosphere. It takes a container, it takes fire from God, and then it takes incense. And whenever they would go into the tabernacle, what it, what it would do is the smoke of this incense, when they took the fire and they put it on the incense, it would fill the whole place. Well, what is incense in the scripture? It is the prayers of God's people. Revelation 5.8 says a, a picture of what's happening in heaven. It says, now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. This is why 
This Old Testament picture is the, probably one of the greatest Old Testament examples of intercession. Because what was he doing in this moment? He says, I've got to get a container. I've got to get fire from heaven. And I've got to start praying. So when he carried the, this incense, he, he then began to move in prayer. And we as the church, in a time of crisis, we need to know the power of, in, of, of intercession. We need heavenly fire. And we need to pray like never before. Let me make a bold statement. I want us to partner with everything our government is telling us to do, the social distancing, the, the numbers. We're broadcasting. I believe there is wisdom in, in doing all of that. But I know this for sure. Prayer is the key to stopping this disease. Prayer is the key. That is what will stop this. I want you to, I want you to notice that the day after President Trump called for a national day of prayer last Sunday over this issue, the next day uh, uh, an article came out about breakthrough with some of the treatments that, that they're, they're already finding that some people are responding to some treatments that are already approved and already available. Is that the answer? I don't know if that's, 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 that's man's answer, but I, I want to know, I want you to know that after we prayed, the next day the article hit. Is that by mistake? I don't think so. Why? Because in 2 Chronicles 7, there is a picture that is much like the one we are living in today. This is after the dedication of the temple. This is actually after fire has come down from heaven and glory has filled the place. All of Israel fell on their face and said, the Lord is good. His mercy endures forever. Then God shows up again to Solomon. He shows up again and he, 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 he says, Solomon, this is some of the words that God says. He says, when I shut up heaven and there's no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their lands now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer made in this place. You say, uh, well, notice, notice the precursor. He says, when I, when I shut up heaven, when there's no rain, I want everybody to know that just not too long ago in Australia, there was no rain, so much so that that whole continent was burning and on fire. It was a, a major Major catastrophe. Not too long after that, there was a locust plague that hit Africa of biblical proportions like they haven't seen in a long time. And now, here's this pestilence. It's COVID-19. All of these things are happening in our day. And what is the answer? It is God's call to prayer. Listen, church, we must humble ourselves. We must humble ourselves. We must go low in this moment and cry out for God's mercy and, and say, God, we are so sorry for erecting other gods and putting them in your place. 
Listen, if your God's been sports, oh man, are you having trouble worshiping right now. It's all rerun gods. If, you're, if, you're, if your God was the stock market, uh-oh, that God is shaking. I want to just say if your God was, uh, was just pleasure-seeking and all of that, uh-oh. But I want to tell you, there is a God that is unshakable. There is one that you can build your life upon. But how do you access that God? We do what the scripture says, that in an hour of calamity, what do we do? We humble ourselves. We go low. We say, you are God and we are not. And we humble ourselves. And then what's next? We pray and seek God's face. We pray and seek God's face. We pray and seek his face. What does that mean to seek his face? It means to know him. It's back to the first point. A church in crisis knows their God. And we know the heart of God. Why? Because we've been praying and we've been ministering to the Lord. And he's revealed himself to us. And we're seeking his face. And then we're not only humbling ourselves, uh, both internally and, and externally, by the way. Meaning by fasting. That's a way to externally humble yourself. Um, so people could see that you're not eating. Um, and, and not only are we praying and going and, and positioning ourselves for grace and positioning ourselves to hear the Lord and to know God, but then the next thing is we're turning from wickedness. We've got to turn from wickedness. All of the gray area church, it needs to be, just get it out of your house. Get it out of your life. Get the gray out. Some of you right now have turned to the things that were bringing you comfort in a f just a few days ago, and they're not comforting you now. Listen to me. Look at me and listen to me. The bottle will not bring you comfort in this hour. It will not. Listen, you getting high will not bring you comfort. You getting another prescription drug will not bring you comfort. You say, what do I need? I need you need the God of all comfort. Church, we've got to get the stuff out of our lives that has been robbing us of intimacy with God. Let's deal with the sin. Let's turn from wickedness. Let's stop the nonsense and live passionately for God. Stop. It is not the hour to start asking, well, what, what, can, I, what can I get away with and still be a Christian? What kind of a nonsense question in a time of war is that? You are showing that there are other gods in place, mostly yourself. And what do we do when we want to see God move in a time? We humble ourselves. We pray and we seek his face. And we turn from wickedness. Notice the three promises. I love this. I will hear. Come on. The world actually pokes fun at the church because we say, man, we're going to turn to prayer. But if they knew the God that was on the throne, and they knew that he was the one that breathed, and the world came into existence, he spoke, let there be light, and there was light. He spoke and reformed the earth. He spoke and, 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 and ultimately breathed on the dirt, and dirt became a, a living soul. If they knew that God had given us a doorway to supernatural answers, they wouldn't make fun of prayer. I love that God says, I will hear. 
Stop saying God's not involved, that he's, you know, like the, the old song from the 80s, he's, he's from a distance. Nonsense, bet. You don't know what you're talking about. No, he's not from a distance. He is near, and he will hear from heaven. He will hear. Notice the other. He says, I will forgive. I want everybody to know, no matter where you are today, no matter how bound, maybe you're watching this, and man, you say, I'm so knotted up in addiction. I'm so knotted up in anger and unforgiveness. I'm so knotted up in all these things, and the devil is trying to keep you bound. Here's what you need to know. God's saying, I will forgive. Repent. Respond to God. God is saying, I will, fr I will free you. The scripture says, he who the sun sets free will be free indeed. He comes and he breaks every chain. He, he restores. He forgives every sin. This is his promise here. He says, I will forgive. And you can rest on that promise. And then notice what he says, which is so pertinent to this hour. I will heal the land. I will heal the land. Listen, in a time of shaking, what do we need? We need the sure foundation of the forever settled word of God. And the first forever word of God is this. If we will humble ourselves, seek the face of God and pray, turn from our wicked ways, God will hear, he will forgive, and he will heal. This is the forever settled word of God and it will work. Prayer is the key to stopping this virus. I love Verse 15, it says, God says, now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers made in this place. You say, well, he was talking about the physical temple in Jerusalem. Well, guess, guess who the physical temple in this age is? It's you. He says, do you not know that you are the temple of God? You're bought with a price. Your life is not your own. He says, you're the temple of God where the Holy Spirit is. You are the temple. Now, apply that scripture in a New Testament way. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers made from this temple. Man, I've got a promise from God. I've got a promise that his eyes are on me and his ears are open to me. Church, in a moment of crisis, we must know the power of intercession. Our lives as the temple are the ones that God is focused in on. We must intercede. That's why every day at 9 a.m. we're broadcasting a time of worship and prayer. Every single day, Monday through Friday. We take one day, Saturday, where we're not broadcasting. We're going to be broadcasting Monday through Friday at 9. We're broadcasting Wednesday night at 6.30. We have all kinds of, we have broadcasts for Calvary Kids. There's one coming up right after, uh, right after these broadcasts. We have broadcasts for, for Ambassador Student Ministry. There's lots of amazing things that are going on. But listen, listen, we are praying. We had already been doing that as a staff here. We would come together Monday through Thursday, and we would just come into this place and pray before we would begin our day. And then at 10, we would, we would move on. So here's my encouragement to you is let's respond like the church who knows the power of intercession. And at 9 a.m., it's time to dial in. Maybe you'll already be at work. 
Why don't you just turn it, turn it on and pray with us. Pray in the spirit. Pray all kinds of prayers and petitions. We are going to call on God and we're going to see God do something powerful in our day. The last thought is this, is in crisis the church knows the power of God's protection. Verse 7 says, then Aaron uh, took it as Moses commanded and ran into the midst of the assembly and already the plague had begun among the people. So he put in the incense and made atonement for the people and he stood between the dead and the living so the plague was stopped. Aaron ran in confidence that his own relationship with God would protect him. He ran in confidence. The plague is going everywhere. What does he do? In intercession, he runs by the spreading disease, knowing it's not coming near him. I want to read to you a passage which uh, I believe has been, become an anthem in the church in this last uh, couple of weeks. And I just want you to read this. And this week, as a church and as a community, I am encouraging all of you to spend time in this passage, Psalm 91. I'm going to read it to you. It says this, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in Him I will trust. Surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid. Say that again. I will not be afraid of the terror by night nor of the arrow that flies by day nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent. You shall trample underfoot because he has, listen, this is a quote. This is what God is saying about us. Because they, the church, has set his love upon me. He's talking about Christ. And then as a result, the body of Christ, because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Listen, this is the promise that all of us need to stand on. There's a lot to take in there. I encourage you, this week, go and spend some time in Psalm 91 and meditate on those truths. And I know there's all kinds of questions that pop up. Well, what about this? And what about, are you saying that Christians can't get sick? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying let's stand on the, the promises of God's word. And let's not shrink back in fear when the, when the world needs a fearless church. Let me put it to you this way. 
in this hour, this church is not going to stop praying for the sick. We're not backing up from that. If you're here and you're going through some things, uh, do what the scripture says. Don't, don't come down to the church. You call for the elders of the church. And we'll come and pray for you. We're believing God for miracles in this hour. Let me say it another way. In this hour, don't stop giving. Don't stop being generous. When I, I immediately, with all of this stuff, I just begin to think about all the missionaries that we support all over the place. Well, fear tells you, oh, don't you, you're not able to give. No, we are able to give. I see them as a benevolent, uh, as we benevolently minister to those who we're supporting in other nations who have no means of coming home. All of those airports are shut down. And so we're, we're the ones that we cannot say, okay, well, we're going we're gonna to give ourselves fully to God, but we're not going to be people who give ourselves fully to others. Notice where Aaron put himself. Between the living and the dead. He put himself right in the middle. We're not going to stop loving people. We're not going to stop being generous to the missions and benevolence. And I want to encourage you to, to give that way. We're not going to stop ministering to the sick. This is the word of the Lord in this hour. This is your instruction. This is how, if I could sum up this whole message... What the word of the Lord is to you, the church, stand between the living and the dead until the plague is stopped. Stand between the living and the dead until the plague is stopped. You say, when's it going to stop? I don't know, but take your place, church. Take your place. You need to know your God. You need to know his character. You need to know the power of intercession. And you need not worry about whether or not you are going to be protected. You need to know the power of being protected because you have a covenant with almighty God through Jesus Christ. Now, I recognize today that there may be some who are watching me who do not have covenant with God because you don't have a relationship with God through the covenant of what Jesus did for us on the cross. I've got good news for you. God is not quarantined. He's coming to you today by his spirit. He's coming to you. And if you're watching this and you've been away from God, I call you to do what the scripture says. Repent. Turn. From sin and turn to God. Humble yourselves. Here's what God's saying to you. I will forgive you. He's already proven his love. Romans 5 says that, that while we were still sinners, powerless, unable to help ourselves, what did he do? He sent Christ to die for us. And he did, he did that. How, how and why? To demonstrate his love for us. And if you've been away from God, this is the time to get right with God. And this isn't something that you're going to do for just a short while until this whole thing blows over. I'm telling you, God is calling you to a new normal. A one who knows God, who knows that I am made to seek the face of God and to live as the temple of God, carrying his presence, carrying his purpose in the earth. I'm going to do like Jesus did because he saves me. I am going to seek and save those who are lost who need Christ.